This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. you told me as we were coming in today I started watching the I started watching the chosen and you're right it's not cheesy and um, I felt validated by that actually <laughs> uh, because I, I've told you this before that I was not I'm not like um, I know this is not really a pastor thing to say I'm not really big into Christian movies if you ask me will you come to a Christian movie I'm probably going to tell you I'm washing my hair um, which is an ordeal uh, but this, this series transformed, has transformed the way that I looked at the Gospels. And if you haven't seen it yet, I'm just going to say another shout out. You can watch it on Netflix now. It's, it's easy. You don't have to download an app and go to YouTube. Just go to Netflix and you can watch season one. Um, this morning, I want to look at a passage found in John chapter four. This is perhaps my favorite passage in the entire Bible. Now, those of you that have been here more than once, you know that I've said this more than once, but this quite possibly is my most, um, and, I, and I don't have a long time. We're only here for a short time. So uh, we're, we're going to watch the scene from John chapter 4 and the woman at the well. As you watch it, though, I, I want you to ask yourself this question. Who am I in this? Who am I in this narrative? Um, just a little bit of historical context. This is the longest conversation that Jesus has with anyone in the New Testament. In fact, it is the longest conversation that God has with any individual in the Bible. This tells us something right from the outset about the nature of the God we serve. If I was God and I was... um, watching leadership videos. Not that God watches leadership videos, but if you contextualized it, uh, you would think that God would choose somebody who was powerful or influential. And yet John chapter 4 records the longest conversation God has with anyone. Let's watch the clip. Man after my own heart. What a beautiful depiction of John chapter 4. If you've never read that chapter before, it's such a beautiful, and, and there is some imagination in there, but it's all staying within the text. Uh, what's amazing is that Jesus reveals himself. This is the first person he says, I am, to. The historical context of this passage is that Jesus is meeting with, he, he has gone to Samaria. The scripture in John chapter 4, verse 4 says, now he had to go through Samaria. Now, if you were an Israelite, here's the historical context. You didn't like, you didn't like catch up with Samaritans a lot. You didn't know them. You didn't, you didn't care about them. You tried to go around them. Um, can we just go to that first slide, guys? with the, oh yeah, you're going to have to go through a bunch. If you can go to the, yeah. We, okay, so here, we're on, a, we're on a map here. So most Jews, when they would have to go from one place of Israel to another, they would go around, you see, they would go from Jerusalem all the way up to Nazareth. They'd take the long way around. Now, some of you understand this intuitively because some of you take the long round around Calgary because you don't want to go on the Deerfoot, so you go down 14th Street or Center Street or whatever because you don't want to get your windshield cracked. 
like I do almost every time I go on the deer foot. But uh, the Jews had a much more religious reason for it. In their mind, the Samaritans were uh, ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. The Samaritans, in fact, although they believed in God, they only, they only believed the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They didn't believe in the prophets. They weren't like true believers. Sounds a little bit like how we are often with people like those people. I don't really know if they're really real Christians because they, we get funny about stuff like this. And Jesus addressed this right away. He actually, it says, the word says he had to go through Samaria. And this tells us something about the very nature of our God, that he was breaking down racial inequity between people right from the get-go. People who say to me, people say, Jess, don't preach about that kind of stuff. That has nothing to do with the Bible. It's got everything to do with the Bible. Because Jesus, right in John chapter 4, said, no, I'm going straight to Samaria, straight to people who people say can't know Jesus. And this is why, as a church, we must be about racial reconciliation, because that's what our Jesus is about. Because Jesus himself went straight through Samaria when it was difficult. When everybody, you know, you know his disciples at that point were like, why are we doing this? We really need to do the shortcut? And I know we say, well, we don't have Samaritans now, well, we, but we do. Do you know who Samaritans are? People who are geographically close to us, culturally far away. That's what the Samaritans were. They were geographically close to Israel, culturally far away. You didn't understand them. You didn't really, you weren't sure if you were comfortable with them. I want you to think about who in your life you're geographically close to, culturally far away. In a couple of weeks, we'll celebrate uh, Truth and Reconciliation Day. In our indigenous brothers and sisters, geographically close to us, culturally far away, do you know what our Jesus does? He goes straight to those people. He has long conversations with them. Some of you have been marginalized in different places because of your race or because of where you're from. And I want to call you to John chapter 4, where Jesus says, I not only see you, I go directly to you. I, I must go to you. This is why for us to be both an intergenerational and an interracial church is not just like a nice idea, like we get good food, we do get good food, uh, but, but it, it is a mu we must because this is what our Jesus is about. Okay, so that's just, that's a little bit of free. Um, at a very base level, John chapter 4 addresses racial inequality in the kingdom of Jesus. If you want to be about the kingdom of Jesus, this is a non-negotiable for us. Okay, let's talk about the characters for a moment. Many of you have probably heard this, the story of the Samaritan uh, woman at the well. Uh, commentators for a long time associated the woman at the well with a scandalous nature. In fact, a lot of commentaries, if you go back 100 years or 200 years, or, they'll even go so far as to say she was a prostitute. But I, in some ways, want to set the record straight. The scripture here in John chapter 4, if you read it today, and I would encourage you to read it, uh, doesn't say anything about that. You know, there's a lot of times where Jesus says to people, go, your sins have made you well, and Jesus is not afraid to talk about sin. But in his conversation with the woman at the well, I want you to notice what is not there. He says nothing about her sin. Nothing. He just has a conversation about her, saying, like, the time is coming when those that worship me are going to worship me in spirit and in truth. It says nothing about it. 
In some ways, what we've done is projected a 21st century idea of marriage onto John chapter 4. And this is why it's really important that we actually get under context, because you can miss the message. When I read commentaries from hundreds of years ago, people were saying basically the message is uh, if you're down and in a problem and you've had a lot of problems in your relationships and you're looking for love in all the wrong places, Jesus loves you. This is actually exegetically incorrect. Now, for certain, God does love you no matter where you are, but what the message is saying here now, in the, 20, in the first century, if you got married, this was not like you didn't go on Hinge, Tinder, Bumble. I, see, I feel proud of myself that I knew three of those right there. <laughs> Culturally relevant right here. No, it wasn't like this. It was a social and economic, like it was like your family. You were helping your family out. So if you got married, it was not, it's not like how we, if you have a young adult, it is not, it, or you are a young adult, this woman was not looking for love in all the wrong places. No, her dad would have set up her first marriage. And women in that day had absolutely no power. So she wasn't like, hey, you're not really good enough. You're not my type. I think I'll go on to number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, number six. So what we can assume, because she had six marriages, or she had five and then this funny arrangement, which was culturally normal, by the way, culturally normal, the sixth one, we can assume that she had something to offer. So she might have been for money. She might have been, but what we do know, what we can make the assertion, if you've been married once or twice, uh, marriage is hard. Yes, if you're married, don't, don't, don't shake your head. You can just look straight at me right now, particularly if you are married. She's had suffering, though. Like, like I, I would, there's probably nobody who's been married six times here. That's hard. And what we learn from this is that, yes, Jesus um, he comes to her. She's a Samaritan woman at the well. But he comes to people in their distress, in their pain. This is the kind of Jesus who stops for someone who's been maligned. I mean, you've been married six times. You would assume that some of those husbands have died or have. And at some point, this woman has got to be thinking, there's got to be something wrong with me. Like, why does this, some of you are in a place like that today. You think, like, could my life get any worse? And this Jesus from John chapter 4 is a God that comes to us in our suffering. He comes to us and sees us. Like, I want you to see in this text that he wasn't just doing, like, um, he wasn't giving her the prophetic words because he was saying, like, here I am, magical Jesus. He was seeing her. He was seeing the very pain points of her life. And I want you to know the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not a God who has favorites. It's not as though he looked on the, the earth and said, well, this woman from Samaria, I like her a little bit more than anybody. No, he's a God that still sees you in your pain, comes to you, speaks directly to you, speaks directly to the pain points in your life. This is the God we serve. He is not a God of rules. And do you notice that he didn't say anything to the woman? We don't know anything about those husbands. We don't know anything. Uh, they depicted that Jesus, because he did tell her everything that she did. 
But the scripture doesn't lay all those things out. That's important for us to recognize. That God is not interested in coming to you and saying, now, Article 3.7.9.2, you didn't follow it very well. I'm not too pleased. He talked to her about how he wanted her, how he was going to free her to be able to worship him. This is a beautiful thing about our God. The fourth thing, I, uh, a third thing I want us to look at here is the symbolism. If you just read this as a straight story, you'll miss this, and this is why um, this is my, this is, I, I told you this last week. Preaching of the Gospels is one of my favorite things to do because you could read it for the rest of your life. I'm telling you this. You can read the Gospels for the rest of your life, and you're going to find new things every day. So uh, John chapter 4, if you've never read the Bible before, um, it's, it's a story that parallels a lot of stories from the Old Testament. In fact, there's wedding symbolism in it. If you look at the Old Testament, now the woman at the well would have known this. We have all kinds of stories in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, where, that start with a woman at a well and a man sitting down and asking for water. And what happens in these Old Testament stories is every time a woman's at a well and a man's at Jacob, it, like there's a lot of stories about this, it's a wedding story. It's like kind of a betrothal story. Now, if you had been a first century Christian or you had been that woman at the well, you would have been like, you would have started reading John chapter 4 and you would have been like, I know what's going to happen here. There's going to be an engagement. Because, you know, we have these stories in our culture, too. You start to hear them, and you kind of think, oh, I know that story. One man. And then they go to space and save the world. You know, we know that story here. It's a Marvel story. Okay, but John chapter 4 starts as this wedding story that everybody would have known very well. Okay, but here's what's weird about John chapter 4. It turns it on, the writer turns it on its head. Jesus turns it on its head. In most wedding stories found in Genesis. The woman, the man at the well says, can I have some water? The woman gives him water. And then they get married. In this story, though, Jesus is at the well. The woman's at the well. He says, can I have water? The woman says, no. Basically, this is like the anti-love story. Like, she's, no, I'm not giving you water. And Jesus does something remarkable that is never seen in any wedding story like this. He says, I'm going to give you water. What? This, like, blows the wedding story genre away. And it tells us something about God. It tells us that, in fact, where we were expected, religious, uh, re most religions tell us that we are to serve God, that we do all these things for God, and then God looks down and says, hey, pretty good, like, you win the balance, you're pretty much better, you're good more than you're bad, you go to heaven. But in fact, the story of John chapter 4 tells a different story. The woman says, no, I'm not giving you any water. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you water. It becomes not about what we do, but in fact, God calling us to him. Isn't that cool? Like, you, you just have to see that. You, you might have read that story. I read that story a hundred times before I saw that. Jesus is always saying to us, this is not about you. You can't, you can't be good enough anyways. You're the worst driver in the world. You're not really. I am. Uh, 
You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't get it together on your own. You're going to say no to me. You're going to do the wrong things. But even still, even in your rejection of me, I say, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to bring you water. This is the amazing thing about our God. Maybe you're here today and this is your first time in church. Maybe you've always had the idea that God was like keeping a ledger of your good or bad behavior. John chapter 4 tells us another story about God. He, in fact, doesn't keep a ledger. He says, listen, you're going to mess up. You're going to reject me. And I am still going to say, here I am offering you something. And maybe some of us have been living under, maybe you're a Christian here today, but you've been living under shame and condemnation. The story of John chapter 4 tells us that God himself comes to us and offers us living water. Um, there's also some interesting things here. So when you read the Bible, you, you want to read it in the context of the larger picture. Now, I know sometimes we just get up in the morning, we read a chapter, but what's really interesting to do is read it as a book. Um, so in John chapter 3, you have this story about Nicodemus, who is a powerful person coming to Jesus in the middle of the night. And we actually don't know much about what Nicodemus decided in the, in the end, but we do know that Nicodemus was a person of power, and we do know that he would have had some kind of authority, and that Jesus spoke very directly to him. What's amazing is that we get to John chapter 4, and Jesus comes to this woman who's broken in the middle of the day with light and speaks truth, and we know that he changes her life. She actually, in fact, accepts the message of Jesus. There's something important here for us to see that when we expose ourselves to Jesus in light, it actually makes it easier for us to accept the message of Jesus. Some, some of us, listen, you, you haven't been able to fully accept the message of Jesus. You've kind of been coming to Jesus in the middle of the night. Like you're not, you don't want anybody to really know that you're like really becoming like a weird religious person. And so you just kind of, Jesus comes to you in the day today, in the bright of day. And you know what day does? It exposes all of our things. Have you ever noticed when you go out at night and you look at yourself, you think, hmm, I'm looking pretty good here. I'm aging well like a fine wine. And then you get up the next morning and realize that was all, all a lie, those lights. Uh, because light exposes things about us. It exposes our brokenness. It's amazing is that Jesus accepts us even in our brokenness. Even in the light of day, he says, yes, yes, you. I choose you. I choose you. This is other really cool little Easter egg that I'm going to give you. I don't know why I just called it an Easter egg, but a little tidbit. At the end of John chapter 4, Jesus, the disciples are all like wilded out like, Jesus, you were talking to a Samaritan woman. She was a woman. You were talking to her. I, what's going on? They were all weirded out. And then the Samaritan woman says, he told me everything I know. I'm going to go and tell everyone. And she runs away. And Jesus says this really famous line. He says, behold, look, the fields are white unto harvest. Pray that God would send workers. It's this cool little thing. And you think, yeah, okay, Jesus was looking at a field. Except for when you go back and look at the geography, there was no field for Jesus to be looking at at all. He was actually where that well is situated in Israel. Uh, you're looking into Samaria, into the town of Samaria. There was no, there was no wells there at all. I mean, no, no fields. So he wasn't looking at what was he saying there? What? This is why, this is why you'll, you'll never, 
You'll never get bored. If, I'm, I'm going to give you a money-back guarantee. If you start reading the Bible and saying, God, would you show me things? He's going to show you things. I, I get, I can, I'm not lying to you to say that I get up every morning and I think, Jesus, I get to read your word today. Would you show me something new? If you'll pray that prayer, God will be faithful to you. Anyways, so here's the cool thing when you look at the geography of that. The Samaritans were known for um, these festivals that they would have, and they would all wear white during the festivals. And it, when you looked into Samaria from the well, it would look like a sea of, like if we all had a white party here today, and we all just wore white, it, it looked like a sea of people wearing white. When Jesus said, behold, look, the fields are white unto harvest, he was looking at people. He wasn't looking at a field. He was looking at people wearing white, the Samaritans. You see, when Jesus sees us, he sees people. He sees you, your life. And he was looking at these field of people saying, they're, they're ripe on harvest. You know, I know that in the 21st century, we have been told a lie that nobody wants to know about Jesus anymore. And people are like, I read some terrible article about the neo-neo atheism. So not neo-atheism, neo-neo-atheism, which is the new, new kind of atheism. And I was supposed to read it and be afraid. Except for that I remember John chapter 4, where Jesus says, actually, look, the fields are white under harvest. There's all kinds of people that are ready to say yes to Jesus. Who knows if your neighbor is one of those people? Who knows if the person that works in the cubicle next to you is one of those people? Jesus declared, this is one of these things that we can say, Jesus said this and we can believe it. Jesus talked all about water and worship, the water being the Holy Spirit, that we're called to be worshipers of him. But what we can learn from all this symbolism in John chapter 4 is that Jesus is at work in so many different levels that are in our lives. Rarely what's happening is all that's, like, listen, What's happening in your life is happening. I understand that. But I also understand that God is at work in a deeper way, in a deeper level. You might not be able to see it right now, but God is working in an extraordinary way. And we have to look for signs of God's kingdom. Some of us have to just ask God, would you open up my eyes so that I can see your kingdom at work in my life? Okay. Um, the last thing I want to make mention of is this. The Samaritan woman, when you read this passage, historians now agree that she probably was like educated, if not educated, very bold. You read it and you think, whoa, she was talking to God like this. But it tells us something about God, doesn't it? That God is not afraid of your questions. Like she's pushing back, saying things that I think, whoa, I don't know if I would be that bold. She was asking all kinds of questions of Jesus. Like, what are you talking about? Are, like, and she wasn't rude, but actually not afraid. Some of you here have all kinds of questions. I, I want to just reiterate this to you. God is not afraid of your questions. He is neither put off by your questions. He is not put off by your doubt. He is not put off by your pain or your suffering. He is a God that stands in the middle of it and doesn't walk away from it. So Dave, um, my husband, sitting on the front row here, has um, his training has uh, become a, a psychotherapist. I shouldn't say that to you because now he's going to be busy, so you can. Uh, uh, 
And we were talking about, you know, what does it mean to actually talk with people? What does it mean to know people? And he was saying, you know, the really hard part is, as people, when we're talking to people, what we, what we want to do is, like, when people talk about their pain, we want to change the subject. Have you ever had this before? Someone's talking to you about something really hard, and you think, oh, let's talk about the weather now in Calgary, because that seems better. <laughs> it's not because we don't care about people. It's because, in fact, as humans, we are sort of socialized to think about nice things, not hard things. And he was saying to me, giving me top tips, which is good, I need them. Uh, you know, let's not run from people's pain. Let's actually sit, stand in the moment. And, and right away, I thought about John chapter 4, how Jesus just stood in this woman's pain, had the longest conversation with anybody. She's been married six times. She's had incredible amounts of pain. Jesus just stood in that pain. I love that about our Jesus. You know, God is willing to sit in your pain as long as it takes. This is what John chapter 4 tells us. Some of you have been in pain for what seems like decades. Jesus just never gives up. He's just going to keep talking to you, saying, I've got water, living water that I want to bring to you. This is a beautiful thing about our God. He never just says, okay, so changes the subject. Let's talk about your clapping offbeat this morning. I only said that because my daughter leaned over to me in the middle of the first song and said, Mom, you're clapping very loud, also very offbeat. <laughs> it's, good that, it's good to have children. They said your self-esteem will really be propped up. <laughs> I'm going to invite the worship team just to come back. Just the keyboardist. Thank you, Brianna. Um, Here's what's cool, though. When the woman at the well met with Jesus, she didn't, like, have to go take, like, a 14-point course on how to tell people about the Messiah. It just became, like, I'm going to go tell everybody, this guy that has told me everything. What's wild is that when we meet Jesus, when we really meet Jesus, this idea of, like, evangelism just becomes, like, natural because God's done something amazing in our lives. Sometimes I think we pump ourselves up, like, i got to have all the right words. You don't have to have all the right words. Just, like, you know what our job is? To know Jesus. If we know Jesus and he impacts our lives, this is going to be, like, a natural, a natural thing that we do because every day when I get up, Jesus is speaking something to me, saying something to me, changing my life. I was thinking about this in John chapter 4. I knew I was preaching this passage a couple of months ago. And um, I live in Calgary, just in a neighborhood like most of you. And I, I knew that um, ah, I, I hadn't, had lots of, um, hadn't had lots of good interaction with one set of my neighbors. I'm sure they're lovely. We just never have had great I was feeling like a little bit like Dave and I live here and we're pastors. We should be like having a revival on our street. What is happening? And I just, um, I take my dog for a walk around the neighborhood every, every day. And I started to pray, God, like, would you somehow make a way for me to be able to share Jesus with our neighbors? Like some, something that we could have something. I didn't want to be like... I mean, I thought about a lot of weird ideas, but none of those were very, they were, on second thought, they weren't going to be very effective. Uh, I just began praying, God, like, maybe there's something that we have that our neighbors don't have that maybe, like, you could, maybe they could ask us a question. or Like, and I was specifically praying this. Well, last week, Dave and I are walking the dog, and I am 
kind of a wreck because it's like very windy out and we walk very early and our neighbor pulls up like he pulls up to where we are walking and this never happens like we're not we don't talk a lot we don't we're just always trying to keep our kids quiet please don't let the neighbors not like us we try not to yell with the windows open thank god summer is coming to an end our neighbor pulled up and he was like oh it's just my my uh my kids are getting married and our venue fell through do you think there's any way that you could help us out it's a very cool moment where we can say, yes, yes, in fact, we do have something that we could help you. I've never been so happy before. We walked away from that walk, and I was like, Dave, Dave, God, God actually answers specific prayer. Like, like, he hears us. And Dave's like, ah, uh, yeah. I think we probably should have known that a few years ago, I'm going to say. I, I am telling you, church, though, when we get our, when we begin to say, God, would you, Jesus, would you come and transform us? Would you open up opportunities? God opens up all these opportunities, and we become like the woman at the well who says, I, I get to go and tell you everything that this Jesus did for me. When we get fixed just on Jesus, just saying, Jesus, would you change my life? Would you transform me? God is faithful. He does that. He comes to us. Some of you are asking God for a miracle right now in your life. I, I want you to say, Jesus, I need a miracle in my life. Jesus, would you come and meet me in my pain? I'm going to ask everybody to stand this morning. I just, I just know that Jesus is here this morning. The same God that met the woman at the well is the same God who stands here today. He is here in our midst and he not only wants to, uh, he not only wants to be praised, glorified, he wants to meet you. He wants to meet you like the woman in the well, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your disappointments, in the middle of everyone's opinion of you. He wants to meet you right there. And he wants to change the script and say, I know you've said no to me before, but today I'm saying yes to you. I'm giving you streams of living water. Can you just bow our heads just for a moment? Maybe if you've never, if you've never said yes to Jesus today, I, I just know this is your day. This is the day to say yes, yes to Jesus. Maybe you said yes to Jesus, but in some ways you've walked away or I, I want to encourage, maybe you're here and you've said yes to Jesus, but you've got all kinds of pain. Some of you are dealing with mental health challenges and it feels unfair. You came in here this morning thinking, I don't know that I can even put one foot in front of the other. I want you to know that John chapter 4, this message is for you, that God is calling out to you today. He's reminding you that he will stand with you in the middle of your pain. If either of those things are for you, I, I, I want to pray with you this morning. Can you just... I want to call you to bravery this morning. Maybe you're here and you're in the middle of pain. You need someone to pray with you. Maybe you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus and you want to say yes to Jesus. I'm just going to ask you to just lift your hand up. Today is your day. Yeah, yep. All over the place. Yep. All over the place. Yep. So Jesus, I thank you for your people that are honest and brave before you. Jesus, I just pray that you uh, would meet us like you met the woman at the well. Thank you that you are a God that sees us in our distress, that you come to us and you speak with us and you, 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 uh, you help us carry burdens that we can't carry on our own. I pray, God, that you would make your presence very real to your people today. 
Jesus, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. I pray that you would come and encounter us so that, God, we could bring you to others, that it would just come naturally, a natural overflow of our lives. I thank you for every person in here that you have set up divine appointments for. God, I pray that you give us courage now to walk in those. Thank you for what you're doing in this church and in this place. Thank you that you come to us, that you chase after us. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.